Do we have boldness in our faith? That is the question that our Lord asks of us in so many of his parables, but in such a striking way in this scene from the gospel. Do we have boldness of faith to actually believe and to pray with desire? Because very often we skip the actual desire part, the the part of being honest with God and raw about what we want because we already feel we're going to get let down, and so I'm not even going to dream big. Instead, all I'm going to say is, God, yeah, whatever you want, I guess I'm okay with it. And it's for various reasons, right? Maybe there was a time when we prayed with this great sincerity, this earnest trust in the Lord, and we didn't get what we wanted. And so we might think this whole religion thing, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's good for other people. But for me, I just don't know. I don't want to get burned again. But our Lord, in his tender care for this woman who has been bleeding, whose whose life has been kind of just dissipating in front of her, for this woman who is in despair, in his tender care for her, in his tender care for this daughter of Jairus, whose life has been completely lost, he shows us what he wants to give to us as well, right? He wants us to be bold in our faith so that he can restore our life. And so this week, what we can focus on is boldness in faith, victory over death, and then life in Christ. First, boldness in faith. To be able to have enough of a trust in the Lord to where we don't skip over what we actually desire, but that we actually present that to him. That we not just say, God, I guess it's your will that I be sick, so I guess get me through the sickness, all right. But instead to be able to say like, no, Lord, I believe that you can actually bring me health of soul and body. I'm going to pray with faith, not with just this sad resignation. I'm going to pray with enough faith to be able to say, Lord, if you will it, I can be made clean. If you will it, Lord, I can actually be cured. Because we have so many hopeless situations in our life, and we don't even dare to hope in them. Because in human terms, yeah, it's hopeless. I've searched for different solutions, and I can't find one. And then... We think that because I ran out of human solutions, I can hope in nothing more. Instead of realizing that that's the place where real faith comes in. That's the, the place where we place our hope in something greater than our little solutions. But very often when we get to that point, we just give up. What our Lord shows us in this beautiful scene from the gospel is that giving up does us no good. That woman who, she had already gone to so many doctors. She had spent all that she had. She had expended every single resource. She could have just given up. She could have just said, oh, it's another traveling preacher. Good for him. But I'm just going to resign myself to having this bleeding for the rest of my life. Now, now for us, we might think like, okay, so so she had uh, excessive bleeding. She was hemorrhaging. Tough. But you realize that in that society, that meant she was cut off. Because in the Levitical law, 
right? The, the, the law that we see uh, in the Old Testament, passed down by Moses, and then thereafter, any time that you were bleeding or had contact with, um, like, uh, a corpse or something, any time that the symbol of your life, which is your life's blood, was shed, that was seen as a, a kind of brush with death. And so you couldn't enter into the temple of the God of life until you had a ritual cleansing of that, right? It didn't mean you were a bad person. It just meant that you couldn't come in and worship in the same way. It meant that there were extra steps that you had to take. But unfortunately, that got twisted to where, yeah, people who had illnesses like leprosy, people who had excessive bleeding like this woman, they wouldn't have been able to even go into the temple. They were outcasts. And she could have given up. She could have just said, yep, I'm done with this whole thing. Right? God has abandoned me. It's been 12 years for goodness sakes. If he wanted to act, he could have acted already. But instead, she had this boldness in her faith to be able to say, should I just touch his clothing? I know that God can bless me through this faith. Wasn't this superstition? It wasn't her saying like, "Ooh, that looks like a magical tunic. Let me go touch it." It was her having faith in Jesus, in the power and the love that he has to where she thought, "You know, even if I just get close, even if I just get close to touching him, I know that by contact with him, I'm going to get my healing." Now, we can reach out to him too. In our prayer, in this Mass, in the sacraments, we reach out to God. We get to touch the living God. Every time that we open sacred scripture, we can have contact with the Lord. Every time that we open our hearts to the Lord in prayer, we have contact with the living Lord. Every time that we receive His grace in the sacrament of confession, in the sacrament of anointing of the sick, and then when we receive His very body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, we have contact with the same living Lord. But whether it has an effect on us or not, that depends on our faith. Because the crowd was pressing upon Jesus. So many people were touching the exact same clothes. People were probably grabbing onto him, touching Jesus himself, and yet his power went out to just one of them. Because only one of them touched him with faith. So we might have to this point said, Father, I tried the praying thing and it just didn't work for me. But sometimes we say we tried the praying thing, and what that means is we just mumbled a Hail Mary and thought, okay, when's it going to happen? Instead of having this daily disclosure of our hearts to God, this building up of a relationship within which he can work. Because he's not a genie or a magician. It's not a math formula that if I plug in the right prayers, I'm going to get what I want. It's a relationship in which I build up the faith and the trust and the heart that's ready to receive what God knows that I need. So do I have boldness in my faith like this woman? Boldness in my faith for my family, for my friends, for the impossible situations that I'm faced with like this man Jairus for his daughter? Do I go up and trouble the master? Do I, do I have that amount of faith? Because there are people who are going to naysay. They're going to say, don't worry about it. Don't mess with that. It's not going to help. Just like the people who said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? 
But do we have that kind of boldness in our faith to say, I'm going to trouble him until he helps me. I'm going to knock on this door. If it takes 12 years of persistent prayer, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep on praying. And you know what? The Lord loves that kind of stubbornness. He loves that kind of persistence. He loves that kind of trust, which is the trust of a child who keeps on saying, but dad, I really want it. But dad, please, dad, come on, dad, dad. For us, it seems like an annoyance. I just saw one dad say to his kids, don't even try it. (laughs) For us, it seems like we're annoying him. For him, he recognizes that it's our hearts growing, expanding, being ready to receive what he wants to give. So first, boldness in faith. Second, victory over death. Right? It's not by chance that this woman was bleeding for 12 years and that this girl that was raised from the dead was how old? 12 years old. All illness, all death, all suffering, all of that was not created by God. We often think, Lord, this creation, it's pretty good, but you made some mistakes. Like the fact that I got aches and pains, the fact that I have misunderstandings with people, the fact that Even if I have the best life imaginable, there's going to come a day where I have to say goodbye to it all. God, why would you make it that way? And he looks at me and says, I didn't make it that way. You did. Right? He made us for this perfect harmony with himself and with each other. And every time that we sin, we say no thank you to that harmony. And we break it just a little bit more and a little bit more. Right? Sin, suffering, death, illness, none of that was part of God's good creation. That was how we warped his creation. And he could have just said, all right, you messed it up, you live with it. But instead he said, I'm going to enter into it. And I'm going to make it not the only thing that you ever have access to. No, I'm going to, through that pain, suffering, sin, give you redemption. So that's what he did. He entered into the very suffering of humanity. And he does that in our lives, too. We read in the book of Wisdom, God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. And that is proved so beautifully in this gospel, where he saves from that slow death of illness, that symbol of death in bleeding, this woman. He brings her from death to society and being an outcast to life in communion once again. And then as if to underscore the point, With this little girl who had lost her earthly life, he brings her back to life. And I love how at the very end of that gospel, there's something so delightfully human and simple about what he says. He gave strict orders that no one should know this. We often wonder, why why does God try to often hush up the things that he's done? Well, because he, he doesn't care about the spectacle. If he wanted to, he could have just made it obvious to everybody by parting the clouds and having everybody see that he's God. No, he doesn't care about putting on a show. He doesn't care about the fame, the fortune. He cares about the little girl. He cares about her specifically. If she were the only one that needed his help, he still would have come just for her. And then he said that she should be given something to eat. There we see just the most human, caring, tender love of saying, she's probably hungry. Give her something to eat. He's given her victory over death. He's welcomed her back into life. 
And he does the same for us. Right? Whenever we die in sin, spiritually, in the sense of whenever we cut ourselves off from the source of our life, we, we really do suffer a spiritual death in that relationship. And, and if you don't believe me, think back to a time that you had a really bad fight with a family member or a friend. And you realized you're still living and breathing, she's still living and breathing, but there was a certain death in that relationship that occurred. And that relationship was not the same until you breathed new life with it, into it with those magical words, I'm sorry. Well, that's how it is with the Lord. We bring spiritual death upon ourselves. And he wants to bring life back into that relationship with him. So there's boldness in faith, victory over death, and then life in Christ. What does it look like? Well, he shows us in the second reading where he says, Not that others should have relief while you are burdened, but that as a matter of equality, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may also supply your needs, and that there may be equality. As it is written, whoever had much did not have more, and whoever had little did not have less. And here we come upon, as this final point, one of the main laments that we have to God. One of the main complaints that we live with. And that's, they don't have it as hard as I do. Their prayers seem to work, mine don't. That's why I'm not bold in my faith. Or, they have perfect health. And I just riddled with illnesses and with weakness and with injury, what gives? Or they have all this money, and I've got nothing. They've got peace in their family and their relationship, and I've got constant strife. And we do this comparison game, and we think, why do they have something and I have less? Or we're on the other side of things, and we think, God, how can you have all of these sick and tired and hungry and homeless people? And I've just kind of lived this blessed existence. What gives? And we get so mad at God for the fact that some have more and others have less. And we forget. If I've ever been given more, it's so that I can give it to someone who has less. If I ever have been given less, it's so that I can, in humility, be helped by the one who has more. God didn't just distribute everything completely evenly so that we never needed to need each other. No, instead, we're this beautiful intertwined humanity to where if I've ever been given more, it's for your sake, not for me. If I can outrun you, it's so that I can get there first and prepare the place for you. If I am stronger than you, it's so that I can lift you up. But also, in my weakness, it's for the sake of me being able to be spiritually strong in humility to ask you to lift me up. And so that's the life in Christ that he's brought us back to, in our victory over death. And we may have this boldness in our faith to ask for great things with great faith, to have a relationship with the Lord that can save us from that death that is sin, and that then we can express that faith in a life in which we treat every single person we meet as another Christ, 
That when we reach out to the poor in charity, we're reaching out to Christ just as faithfully as that woman did when she touched his cloak. To realize that every time in prayer, in sacraments, and in service that I reach out, I'm reaching out to the same Christ. May we reach out to him today and touched by him be brought to true life.